Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. My name is Daniel, and I'm here with Pastor Troy, Woo-woo-woo. and I'm here with Josh. Finally. And yeah. we are, yeah, he's back <laughs> in the studio, and we're about to go over the uh, summary for this week, so. Yes, it has been a, um, Chronicles, First Chronicles is tough. This is the tough section. I'm not, we can't sugarcoat it. It's a little bit uh, rough to Nothing get through. Nothing against musicians, but um, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, and there is uh, we get the prayer of Jabez in this in this week's reading though yeah, yeah. It, it jumps out there. Uh, that's pretty much the highlight, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then we, we, but it moves along. That if we you get to this week, then we're we're now we're starting to get into actually the chronicles of the kings of uh, Judah, and um, and so the um, uh, so yeah so pr- plow through it, get through it. It's uh, it's worth it. Uh, and and so then the Psalms, uh, we have our, the Psalms are good yeah. and the Proverbs are good. Uh, we're in Proverbs 19. We never, we start in Proverbs 19. We don't ever get out of Proverbs 19 this week. So it's just kind of, <laughs> uh, and that will happen because there's only 31 chapters in Proverbs. Right. So yeah. it has to be spread out over the course the of a year. One so. verse, two verse. Yeah. So, but which I, <laughs> I think that's why I like this reading plan. <laughs> I like the reading plan because it does a lot of times you don't need 30 verses of Proverbs because the two verses are pretty much enough to digest or whatever. And they have generally nothing to do with each other. Correct. They are just a a lot of different Proverbs. And so and sometimes it's better to get them in small uh, quantities. And then uh, as we progress through Acts, Acts is always the bright spot in this in this time of the reading because Acts is power packed with all mm-hmm. types of action and progression of the church and so forth. There's never a shortage of things that um, of amazing things that God is doing. In Acts, in fact, we're going to share from Acts in part of our discussion today, and maybe even have a question that comes from Acts. So, oh, we do. Uh, ooh, oh, oh, man. <laughs> So we're going to take a moment here in just a bit, and we're going to tell you what God revealed to us as we read through his word and what stood out to us, uh, hopefully to get you to also read what we read and more as we come back. And we are back here to talk about what we learned and gleaned from the Bible reading and... uh, Josh, you've you've got stuff. I see stuff on your notebook. Why don't you start us off? Yeah, so Proverbs 19 smacked me in the face at least three or four times this week. With only, Um, wow. I know, it's crazy. Um, But I will focus in on um, chapter 19, verse 15, which says, Slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Um, Yeah, so this was something that I find myself doing quite often um, just becoming idle, becoming lazy, and what that causes. Yeah, I might get some deep rest, but beyond that, um, being idle causes so much hunger, um, mm. and that hunger is really intense. That hunger can be dangerous um, physically or spiritually, but it also can um, be really helpful. Um, mm. And so if you think about the dangers of it, um, when we're hungry, we hunger for anything. If we look at Jacob and Esau, <laughs> Esau was hungry, and then what happened? Well, oh. Yeah, he lost his birthright um, because he wasn't thinking. And so when we get hungry, um, I mean, we, we do the same thing. Our brains just don't work for some reason, um, whether we're spiritually or physically hungry. And so, um, yeah, like I said, it can be dangerous, but at the same time, it's so important because in those hunger times, we can hunger for Christ. Um, and that spiritual or physical hole um, can be filled with Christ. Um, it makes us desire him more. Um, and I saw... When I was looking up this word and um, diving into the original language, there's a understanding that it means desire vehemently. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's big. Mm-hmm. Um, but And that's just kind of where I'm at right now. Um, it's just like I want to hunger for him that mm-hmm. way um, because, you know, I don't want to be idle. I don't want to be in that lazy spot where there's nothing for me to do but just be hungry. It's like in those times of idling and um, 
laziness. I want to hunger, desire vehemently the Lord, um, mm-hmm. and help, like, let Him be the actual bread of life, um, like He is. And um, yeah, so that really stuck out to me this week. Cool. Awesome. Right. Awesome. 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 I also came from Proverbs chapter 19. Um, where it says, a foolish son is the ruin of his father and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. (laughs) Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Um, There is just, I like some pithy wisdom there from uh, (laughs) Solomon. But um, I'm not going to dwell on the continual dripping uh, <laughs> from the contentions of a wife, uh, and Solomon uh, would know I, something about I, I know. wives. Can you imagine? <laughs> it had to be like an ocean uh, oh running, God, running. If you had seven hundred wives, it's like a that's, pipe a, that's a lot going on there. So anyway, I don't even think about it. Uh, the foolish son being the ruin of the father is is always a reminder that uh, that when we make when we when we act foolishly when we do foolish things that it is we are hurting the name of our father and I think one of the things that uh, I think obviously when Solomon was writing this he was writing from a very biological perspective or from a from a, a earthly perspective of when you have a son who uh, does not take on the and in, in, in that day it was very important that the son learned what the father did. And uh, and mastered that craft in order that that trade or that that uh, can, that business could continue on and so forth. Kind of like a, a farmer who has sons and so forth. To uh, if they don't learn how to work the farm, then it will then he will lose everything. Um, and uh, but it also needs to be applied for us all today uh, to in a, in a heavenly direction that uh, when we are foolish, it is to the ruin of our own our heavenly Father's plan. It is. Uh, that he, and not not that God's will is thwarted. I, I I think so often we, it's funny how we say, well, I I can't thwart God's will. What does it matter? You know, if God's going to accomplish what He wants anyway, and and that's like if you, it's like saying it doesn't matter that you don't matter. It's I right. mean because the point is is that then God has a plan for you and wants you to be incorporated in that, and you're very valuable to Him and so forth. And yeah, you can mess that up. You can mess up what He wanted to do with you and in your life. And 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 if you, you know, if you have children or you love other people, <laughs> you don't even have to have children. You just love other people. Uh, you have an expectation that they're going to do something and be something. And and so when people are foolish, it's it's very heartbreaking to think that uh, that they will never be what they were created to be, what they were designed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the biggest part of that passage was the last part, and that is uh, that houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And I, what stuck out to me this time is that he doesn't say a wife is from the Lord. He says a prudent wife mm. is from the Lord. So this means that just because you found somebody and you got married, <laughs> uh, that God blessed that mm. and thinks, oh, good job. Uh, no, you can make a mistake there. That That's a hard thing to for people to come to terms with that you can marry the wrong person. It's not like that God just uh, says, oh, now they magically become something different. No, <laughs> if you, you can make their own choice and enter into a covenant agreement with the wrong person, you are still in a covenant agreement, and God wants you to honor that covenant, and there are lessons to be learned from it, and God can work all things together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So yes, he can work it out, but, uh, but, it is, but when you trust God, to guide you to the person that he wants you to be with, he gives you a prudent wife. And uh, and if you, uh, just by dumb luck, <laughs> have a prudent <laughs> wife, it's just because God loves you <laughs> and uh, showed you a lot of grace and mercy in that. But having a wife who is wise and who uh, thinks about the future and makes plans uh, to accordingly and, and following Christ and so forth. And, and, and I think wisdom is dictated that she is a person empowered by the Holy Spirit and follows the leadership of the Holy Spirit, trusting God for the future. I think that that is, a, it, well, I mean, this is what he's saying. It's, that's a gift from God and not to be taken for granted. Uh, there is uh, that houses and riches are things that you can leave, that dads can leave to you. Um, but those things come and go. Uh, what God was really wanting you to have, and I think it should be interpreted this way, the wife is more valuable than the houses and the uh, riches. And I have seen and known um, 
many men who have chosen houses over wives, mm. and uh, and that is um, that is just foolish because uh, because the wife the the wife of wisdom is is much more valuable than anything uh, your father could give. I'm grateful for this because my father didn't leave me any houses or lands <laughs> or riches, uh, but I did get the prudent wife from the Lord. So nice. I, so I, so I came out go. I came out on top. There so. you go. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well. Y'all were both in Proverbs 19. I'm going to go with Proverbs 19 to start as well. Um, wow. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. And so I was just kind of meditating on that um, because I couldn't find anything in Chronicles I wanted to talk about. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, just talking about the character of a patient man, a patient person and a virtuous person. And um, and so again, it says, a person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. And I thought, you know, conversely, a lack of patience with people or situations, whatever, is a sign of a lack of insight. Um, and it's almost like, you know, when you're, like, you look at your dad, or you look at um, somebody more mature, older, wiser than you, it's like, nothing seems to phase them, right? Like, they they're just like like my dad is like this rock of a man um and it's not that nothing it's not that he doesn't have emotions he, he definitely does it's not that um he's not touchable but he is he doesn't get phased by the same things that i would get phased by mm. you know and um and i think that speaks to the patience he has and the understanding that he has with the lord um, and men like that you know like um they, we don't like younger men who have less patience less insight tend to fret about stuff mm. Um, that that older men don't tend to fret about um, because they have more, I think, and what Solomon is trying to say, I think, is that that there's a relationship between the insight that they have of life and their patience that they exhibit throughout the thing. And it's the same thing on the second half of that. His virtue is to overlook an offense. And I thought, um, you know, by the same token, like when you're wronged, it shows your ability to handle it by how you respond uh, so like, it, so if you're like quick to deal out judgment or complain when something bad happens to you, or maybe when you're wronged or feel wronged, um, it um, shows how shallow your bandwidth is to being wronged. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, you have people that like something bad happens to them and then they like fret, oh, um, you know, woe is me, blah blah blah. This person hates me. And um, but it says no, your virtue, the virtue of a man is to overlook an offense. Mm-hmm. So. So I, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to apply this all to my life, and I think what it speaks to is just the even keel. The more experience, the more virtue you have in your life, really, you just mellow out. It's not that mm. you're not passionate about stuff, but it's that you it, you, get, you don't get rocked as easily. Um, so, so anyway, just kind of thinking about that, what that looks like, trying to look at look for examples um, in my life. I think I'm I'm further along than I used to be. You know, the more. Like as a parent, as I grow as a parent, I, the things that my kids did that used to send me up the wall, doesn't send me up the wall anymore. Mm. They've learned new ways to send me up the wall. <laughs> um, the things that people in my life, you know, uh, fam, whatever, um, used to affect me, doesn't affect me. Why? Because I have a little bit more insight now. I saw how God managed that and what He did with it. And, um, you know, you grow, and hopefully I'm. Still in the process of, of growing, uh, yeah. But, but yeah. Anyway, that's you know in that in that verse it doesn't say that it's an older person. It just is mm-hmm. a person's insight. Just a person. And, and that you know I think we what we all want is hopefully that uh, younger generation. We these are things we wish we knew when we were younger. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right that age gives us a, a different perspective on things because we've tried and failed and tried and failed and then all of a sudden we realize all oh, these this is what's more important. Uh, and we do have we do get greater insight with experience, but we don't have to yeah. have that. We can we could literally just read that verse and learn and from learn it. it. <laughs> well, and it, somewhere else in the Proverbs yeah. it says um, that the fool learns from experience, the wise man learns from instruction. Yes, and that's one of my favorite proverbs. It's a good word, yeah. Because you know you don't have to learn from experience. You watch people. I watch myself have to learn something by experiencing what somebody else told me, you know, don't yeah. do that. Don't do it that way. Yeah. Do it this way. I've got to learn it for myself. I have to learn it yeah. for myself. Yeah. And that is a foolish way to do it. It's a foolish way to do it. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's how we choose. To do it so <laughs> I've done that. Unfortunately, <laughs> I've been foolish many times, but yeah. So, 
Good word. Make that five to six ways the Proverbs have smacked me in the face. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, as much as I would love to say in Proverbs, um, I'm in Acts uh, chapter five, actually. Um, and I guess I've never read this chapter like with understanding of what's going on, honestly. But it is a very um, just intense story um the apostles get um thrown in jail and then an angel like sets them free and they walk out and they go straight back to the temple and they begin to preach the gospel again Mm. um and so then (laughs) they send for the apostles so they can go before the council and they're like hey they're not there (laughs) where'd they go and they find out like all the doors were locked like there's they just don't understand how they escaped um, and then they, someone's like, Hey, they're in the temple again, they're preaching. And, um, so then they're angry. And mm. so then they come to the apostles and they're like, um, we're going to take you to the council. And then they beat them. Um, mm. which is crazy. Um, anyway, so let me just get to the, the point. Basically they're saying to them, Hey, we strictly charge you to never speak of Jesus's name again. Um, because you're making it seem like we're the one, we're the ones who killed him and we're the ones who put him on the cross. And then Peter speaks boldly here in such a simple and strong way and a simple and strong presentation of the gospel. Um, and I, <laughs> when I was reading it, I, my mouth dropped open. <laughs> I was like, Whoa, Peter, like that was really crazy, but it's incredible. He just says, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised, raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who, whom God has given to those who obey him. And I was just like, whoa, like he just called them out like to the face and said boldly, like you're the ones who killed him. Like this is, this is on you. I know you're not trying to take the blame, but this is on you. And it's true. Um, he has come to save and he has come to forgive. And there's nothing that you're going to do to stop us. You know, in last week's reading, they talked about um, how can we not go tell of what we know? Like, and so anyway, so they're angry at him again. In verse 33, it says they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And so mm. they're still mad. And what happens is no matter what, um, they are so in love with Jesus and, and so um, just deeply compassionate for people. Um, that they speak with strength and simply, but still deep and loving. Um, And we see here in verse 42 at the end, it says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Hmm. And it's like, that is beautiful. Um, And just seeing the duality of the gospel of it's being strong and deep and um, simple, yet complex, like all of it, you're seeing this beauty unfold um, which you haven't seen, um, too much of in the new Testament so far. Mm. Um, and so we get to see that happening, which is really, really awesome. I think what's so interesting about that moment when they say, you know, when they beat the apostles, Mm -hmm. Gamaliel, um, which is a super wise man Mm -hmm. in my book, like he, he had just got done saying it, you know, if this is of God, it'll continue. He had kind of talked them down from killing them. Right. And it says that they, agreed with him mm-hmm. like that he yeah. said yeah that's a good idea and then they yeah. proceed to beat them anyway yeah. and it's almost like we do this we like we when we realize that maybe we're we've gone a little far in an argument we're a little maybe we've stepped into a territory where we're wrong we still feel like we have to have the last word oh, on yeah. right. stuff to and show our authority and power. to show right. our authority yeah teach them a lesson mm-hmm. and it's because and then they <laughs> they didn't mean to do this but they yeah. it's because of the beating yeah that more people were yeah. added uh, so they, you know, I think it's a church growth strategy. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> so we've got a woodshed over, yeah. over here. I love what he says, what Gamaliel, Gamaliel or whatever his name is says. He says, Gamaliel is like a kind of tea. <laughs> Gamaliel. Gamaliel. Yeah. But he says, but if it is God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Yeah. So they took his mm. advice. And <laughs> But I mean that I mean he was very wise for saying that because yeah. they were. <laughs> yeah, and it's like we've been through this before. We've yeah. seen this before. Right. Yeah. It'll all just go away. Just mm-hmm. let's not do something that messes our own right. world up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love how that. Um, also, Luke records that. How he, yeah. How he, you know, it's yeah. like, hey, this was what he said. 
Yeah. That's crazy. Um, mine comes from Acts also in Acts chapter 6 where it says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, that we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then verse 7 says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The, um, uh, th- this passage is used a lot uh, in the ordination of deacons, uh, and, and, and rightfully so. It has uh, this, the implication of this is where the idea of deacons is beginning. Uh, it, you know, and w- when you read the word, you have to remember this is, this is something being fleshed out at the very beginning, so they don't use that term. Uh, but then you have later in the church the office of deacon that Paul is talking about, and the idea is that this this is where this comes from, that you have a group of, as you're setting up each of these churches, you have a group of men uh, who are called to bring the word and to be faithful in the study of the word, um, and these are or called pastors, overseers, and so forth, uh, and uh, bishops. And then you have people who are helping to maintain the ministry, the serving, and, and and things that need to be taken care of, ministering to the widows and the orphans and so forth. And so they needed people, men set aside for that purpose as well, and these were uh, called deacons. Uh, and and one of the, the biggest differentiations was that uh, the gift of teaching, uh, the word would have been, in the office of overseer, the gift of uh, well, and serving uh, would be one left for those who are uh, called deacons, which deacon literally is just uh, the word servant. I mean, it's uh, but it's like the office. There is an office of servant uh, in the church, and so you you are setting people aside for that purpose and plan. That wasn't what I got out of it this time. I, I was as I was looking at it, um, we'd had this. Um, uh, I mentioned this discussion to Daniel. It's even this week. We had been talking about how we have a prayer meeting on uh, Wednesday nights, and uh, and we had gone to the deacons and said, hey, can you cover uh, the prayer meeting? Uh, and um, and we had, and everybody was tied up, and it was, and six o'clock was a difficult time uh, to do it anyway, so the solution we came up with was to move the prayer meeting to 5.30, but I was reading this passage, and I thought, you know, this wasn't something that the deacons were used for. This is actually what um, the apostles' uh, role was, and, and I think pastoral responsibility even later on uh, was in, uh, it says specifically that they were uh, to devote themselves to the study of God's word and uh, to prayer. Uh, that the prayer ministry of the church really does need to be led uh, by the pastors of the church, to, to mm. the example. And, and because, for one, it is the responsibility of the overseer, of the pastor, the shepherd of the flock, to be praying for the flock, to be right. to be doing that ministry and prayer. Now, not that other people can't be involved in that ministry and 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 be doing that, but that is one of the things I think that is very important for uh, for those of us who are called to pastoral ministry is to realize part of caring for them is intercede. I mean, in the same way, I think fathers are supposed to pray for their children, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I. In my in my understanding of the word, it, the the prayer covering ministry and understanding that the prayers of a righteous man do accomplish much, uh, that husbands should be praying for their wives, that husbands should be praying for their household and for the protection of their household, and so that as pastors are praying for the heads of those households, trusting that the heads of those households are praying for um, their homes. So I'm not having to pray for your, your whole family, but I am praying for you believing that you are praying for your family. And uh, and then also um, you have, uh, then as your church grows, the idea is that you are praying for, uh, you have people set aside to say, hey, will you pray for these 10 heads of households and I will pray for you. And then, and so that prayer ministry kind of using Jethro's uh, understand. And that takes me, I'm cheating. I'm going to go to uh, a <laughs> psalm that we also had in uh, Psalm 7720. Uh, it says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, and and that's uh, and that flock understanding has been used I'll go all the way back to the Old Testament as Moses was overseeing uh, and Aaron was overseeing um, uh, as the priest. Uh, Moses, prophet Aaron, and, uh, of course, creates the priesthood is created under Aaron and so forth. But uh, and then and then going back to. 
uh, Acts, where it says that as a result of these apostles praying, devoting themselves to the word, as a result of the deacons now taking care of the servant ministry, now the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So now people, uh, uh, so they have this incredible ministry to the people who were supposed to be uh, set apart for the reading mm-hmm. of the word and for overseeing uh, people in the in the Jewish faith. Now are seeing this sense of calling into Christian ministry, and that that should be the natural way it goes. Is mm-hmm. these are people who are supposed to be reading the word and seeing what it says and seeing their need to be involved, and now they're being called into um, uh, the Christian ministry. And so, but but I, but I thought you know this is this is a church growth uh, church, like church growth 101. If you wonder why your church isn't growing, then you have to ask yourself: Are you caring for the flock? I mean, God raised up Moses and Aaron and said, "I'm going to entrust my people to you." And Moses, to the point where he was up all night and and all day taking care of the people and then like i says father jethro comes and says hey it's not good for you to do this all you need to divide this up but that was part of the the wisdom that insight that uh, hey. that that we said so we're tying all this together uh it's all and connected it's all connected and so he has this insight that okay you need to divide this up but but still he's he's making sure that they are being cared for that they are being ministers that the flock is being uh seen to and uh, and then the flock when you are caring for your flock properly your flock increases and it's a, it is a great metaphor because that's when you think about I have a friend in the cattle business and when you think of the cattle business sheep business all the same uh, when you're raising livestock uh, the goal is is that sheep beget sheep and so if you're taking care of them then they produce and it just grows naturally. You don't have to go steal other people's sheep. <laughs> you don't have to. You know. You don't have to go and uh, and you don't even have to convert sheep. They just kind of grow. Um, but w- I mean, what we want to. I don't want to try to. Don't want to carry the metaphor too far. Gotta but shear them every uh, once in a while. Gotta shear them every <laughs> once in a while. But uh, but at the same point, <laughs> uh, the but the idea is is that uh, when we operate the church the way God desires for us to operate the church, um, and I had a friend who said this is that we. We have to work to keep the church from growing because when we're doing it the way God wants us to do it, the church just grows. It, it naturally reproduces, very much like uh, in the story of Jacob when he was working for his uncle Laban uh, and then um, and, and you know for the hand of his uh, bride, uh, two brides, Leah and Rachel, and uh, and he took the bad sheep and but God blessed him and those sheep increased, so his flocks increased, his wealth increased. And if you want to think of the wealth in the church as people, uh, our wealth increases just simply by doing what God told us to do, studying the word, having a ministry of prayer, and having people within the church set aside to make sure that people's needs are being taken care of and they're being ministered to. Hmm. So, Yeah, that's, really, that's so good. I'm going to continue the narrative. Ooh. So Josh did Acts 5, you did Acts 6. I'm going to do Acts 7. Ooh. But before I do... Um, First Chronicles does have something something good in it. And it's just a little Easter egg that I noticed. But um, in First Chronicles 16, David offers a psalm of praise to the Lord, and then it references Asaph as being put in charge of ministering before the Ark of the Lord. Well, Asaph is the one that wrote all of the psalms that we've been in the last couple of weeks. Oh. So um, if you want to want to get a kind of little Easter egg as far as the reading, it's one of those times that it's all uh-huh. connected. Yes. Uh, so it was a struggle to pull something good out of First Chronicles this week, though. It was. I, Our questions I, about it, though. I did have, <laughs> I did my, on the on Sunday, I I did pull something from the prayer of Jabez, but mm-hmm. it was I didn't share. But it what today, else? Anyway. Is new, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. All right, but okay. So in Acts um, seven, this is a St- Stephen's Stephen's sermon where he basically gives the the history of. The, the Jewish faith, the Jewish mm. people, um, all the way up until Jesus. And it's I love how it starts. It's the high priest asks, is this true? Uh, and uh, just to what they've been saying about Stephen. But um, in 754 to 60, it's the stoning of Stephen. And, um, and it goes like this. When they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts and gnashed their teeth at them. At him, but Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, gazed to heaven. He saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, "Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God." 
They screamed, covered their ears, threw their robes at the foot of a guy named Saul, and stoned him, and he um, he died. Is basically how that all goes. Hmm. So, um, so um, what I what I wrote down a couple things. Um, first and foremost is that things often get worse before we ever see what God was doing in the middle of it all. Because um, hmm. life is is a series of downs and some ups. Uh, right and uh, but remembering the faithfulness of God is so important when we see things falling apart because this is like the climax of what I call like Act One in Acts. Um, th- <laughs> get it? Uh, I didn't mean that, but that's gonna <laughs> work <I'm> out. <laughs> um, but uh, this is like this is the end of the episode, and um, Stephen is is killed. Saul, who we know becomes this great thing. Is just starting out and is on his this in this in, invigorates him to go kill a bunch of Christians, right? Mm. This is the beginning of horrible, horrible times for the church. Um, but we see the future. We see that Saul becomes Paul and becomes this great evangelist. Um, but so, but when it's when things are so horrible, we absolutely just about 100% of the time miss what God is doing in the middle of that. Mm. Um, all of that. He was he was making Saul what Saul was through. You know, it says Stephen was overcome with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to say the the phrase that would earn his death. Like the crowd was already livid at what he was getting ready to say, what he had been saying. And then it says when the Holy Spirit came on him, he said these words and then the people killed him. Mm. And so, and and what I think is so, I, I, was, I was crying reading. I do every single time I read this section because, <laughs> um, because Stephen looks to heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And, and everywhere else in scripture, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And at, at this moment, it's like, you know, we, we, we understand that the Holy Spirit comes out from, you know, the whole, Father sends the Holy Spirit through Jesus, right? Jesus mm-hmm. sends out the Holy Spirit. And so it's like, and because it was the Holy Spirit's work through Stephen that earned his, the first martyr's death, mm-hmm. that started everything, it's like that death kicked everything off everything that paul did it all focuses here and it's like jesus is standing for this one moment in time mm-hmm. um, almost like like almost in applause like welcome almost like respect of you know jesus doesn't have to respect anybody mm-hmm. we, uh, but but he chooses to stand in this moment and i just think that, that is so cool so cool but um but it, it also drew me to this other part of the reading in psalm 77 um verses 8 through 12 you're cheating too. I'm cheating a little He's bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it says, Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at the end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? So I say I am grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. And it's just mm. like, man... When things are at their worst, at their worst, the only thing we have is to remember, remember what God's done. Because in the middle of it, we are not going to see that God is preparing something or someone or some situation in the middle of it, the horribleness. Mm-hmm. Um, we are just incapable of seeing that. So what do we have to do? We have to be like the psalmist, um, Asaph. We have to be like Stephen. We have to look up and see the right hand of God. Both of both of these passages, the right hand of God is the thing that these men in crisis looked to, and that is Jesus. Um, he's the one at the right hand. So, um, wow. so man, I'm just I'm getting emotional just thinking about it because um, it hits me so hard. You know, like yeah. life can be so horrible at times, and um, and we're we're not just prone to miss it. We're going to miss it. We ha- we're going to have to look back in the future. And so now, when we're in the middle of something hard, we have to look back at when God, at what God did in the past, and remember His faithful works and His faithful love, and that He's He really does He is there. Um, it reminds me when I was in seminary, we, um, you know, we have a hard time giving up a family in our church to go and plant a church because we always think in terms of that's us losing a good family, mm-hmm. you know, and how do we just give let them leave our church and what will happen to our church if we lost? Because we always look and say, we got this perfect team together. Yeah. And, and you can imagine that you have Stephen, who's part of this perfect team, and you can imagine the church thinking, now he's dead, and, and we don't, where do we go from here? How do you, re- how do you replace Stephen? And you're definitely not seeing what God sees, that the guy who's there 
making sure Stephen's dying uh, is the guy that God's mm-hmm. going to then take and put back in, and you're going to have someone even more influential yeah. than Stephen. But uh, in seminary, I remember we were talking about what it would take to see the you know, look in uh, Muslim and highly Muslim influence. I mean, areas of the world where it's 99.9% Muslim or or anti-Christian for sure, and you have such a small Christian influence. And uh, and I remember a professor quoting somebody by saying, you know, the the um, the seed of the church is fertilized with the blood of the martyrs. And and he looked at us and he said, so which of you is going to die, mm. so the church can grow in those areas? And you're like, hmm, don't want to raise my hand. Here. <laughs> but um, but you do. But then you realize that that is how God has always. We we always see ourselves as being. We have this sense of self importance of that. No, my no, I'm I have to stay alive <laughs> to do something. Right. You know, to be of great influence and so forth. I just appreciate, um, and but you see here, and Stephen just illustrates for us that uh, he played his part, and all he was, all his his goal was to get to Christ, and and it is a beautiful picture where the Holy Spirit comes and says, you you did what you were supposed to do. This is exactly what I wanted you to do. This is exactly where I wanted you to be. You said what you were supposed to say. You did what you were supposed to do, and now you know job well done, and uh, and that's it. And then you're done, and uh, and it's actually, you know, you kind of realize he was better off than Paul. <laughs> you know, uh, Saul was uh, Paul had a, a as rough a road, if not a lot rougher than than Stephen did, and and eventually, but eventually St- Paul got there. Yeah. You know, to the point where he got to go, and is telling Timothy, you know, Timothy, don't don't be, you know wimpy here, uh, rise to the occasion and keep going and, uh, and, you know, follow my model. And then Timothy passes that on to somebody else. And we know that because we're, we're here Mm -hmm. and, uh, but each generation, uh, somebody has to, somebody's going to die, you know, and, and our, we don't choose to be the ones to, um, to, you know, we don't purposely sacrifice <laughs> ourselves and our lives. Yeah, exactly. As tribute, um, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the the thing that we have to think in terms of is that we have to just be willing. I, I am, God use me however you want to use me, do with me what you want to use me. And and it is, it is difficult uh, and challenging, but, uh, but when we are willing to lay our lives down, uh, he will take our lives and uh, and do something great with it, you know, either by le- either by being a living sacrifice or actually a martyr for Christ. So, mm. awesome. awesome. You know, I there and this was something, and and you know, when you the the when you think about martyrdom and so forth, that more people were killed in the 20th century than all of Christian history combined uh, for the cause of Christ, and that's not changing in the 21st century. Uh, it's so hard for us to fathom that it's as bad as it was then. But you think about when you're reading Acts, you're looking at an instance of something that we've been talking about for 2,000 years. But it was just this was just the beginning, yeah. and and it, it continues on today. And people are if you're thinking that people don't give their lives for Christ today, then you just are are shielded from it because it happens every day. Yep. yep. All right. Well, let's go to. You want to take a break? Take a break. Recuperate. Let's do some, some uh, questions. Do some questions. All right. We'll be back. question and answer segment of the day uh josh you have some go for it yeah okay so we read first chronicles 3 through 13 this week Um, so much fun so much fun so many words and unpronounceable names (laughs) but my question is is um number one why are all those names recorded and then secondly what's the point What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> 13 chapters of Reuben's descendants and so on and so forth are kind of hard to get through. <laughs> yeah. Hard to see. Yeah. I, you know, when you're, uh, you're beginning, um, uh, first of all, you just get done with first and second Kings and it's like, we're going to do this all over again. Yeah. And, oh, right. uh, and you gotta, but you gotta understand the, the time period that it's coming out of. You're coming out of the exile. And, uh, and so now you have had, 
the ten tribes of Israel who are basically lost. They've been scattered. Uh, they go back and eventually form Samaria. Uh, they've intermarried. The Assyrians were much more intentional about uh, forcing intermarriage, meaning they're trying to destroy who you, your mm -hmm. culture and who you were and so forth. That was part of their insidious plan. Uh, God preserved Judah from that. Uh, they were not captured by the Assyrians. They were captured by the Babylonians, who were not, who were more about trying to teach a particular culture more of their own, uh, more of their culture and and uh, and understanding and so forth. So uh, so that they didn't get to intermarry. So they got to maintain their integrity of of marriage and so forth of of their tribal descent. Uh, and then um, and then after 70 years of exile, they were released after uh, Persia came and liberated them from the Babylonians, uh, the Persians were much more about getting people back to their countries and getting them uh, reestablished and then taxing them. And so their thinking is that if you go back and you're productive, then you actually will produce more for us than if we keep you here. And then we're having to pay for you to be here in our own place. So this is the, so this is what is going on culturally. And so they're, so they're recording. Now, now you have people who are saying, okay, what is our, what's our history? What is it that, how do we get here? How did how did all and where do we go from here? And so it's going to begin with Saul and uh, and his and and the demise of Saul and then the the kingship and so forth and how the order of kings come. And so they're going to really tell the story of how we wound up in exile. But before they get there, it's like here's kind of a synopsis of how we can trace our lineage back to the beginning. You know, back to Abraham is what you're really looking for, and especially Jacob and Israel. Uh, and so here we have the 12 tribes. And so and and so each lineage, and, and if you try to follow it, it's like, wait a second, we just talked about Bethlehem, and then you mentioned yeah. these names and so forth, and, got, and then we switched it around, you got this person here and so forth. But there's some things that have to happen. What has to happen is you have to tie Saul to Benjamin and see how God raised up a king from the tribe of Benjamin and how that dissension came. You have to show David from the tribe of Judah and how and how that order came. Now, it becomes very important for us later on because we tie Jesus back right. to David. And so it was good that they had, they did all the work up to him. So right. that helped that out a lot. And uh, we don't, we tie our connection to Jesus through his blood. Right. So we don't have to have that genealogy and so forth. But even today, uh, if you go to Israel, and uh, if you're Jewish, uh, there are a lot of records and, and trying to find your connection and so forth. So especially to the Jewish reader, this would have been a very important discussion of how I connect back and so forth. You're looking for, I, I liken it to when I first started pastoring, I went to a town uh, called Smith Grove, Kentucky, and I'd never been to Smith Grove. It's just outside of Bowling Green. I'm pastoring this uh, their Smith Grove Baptist Church, and and uh, and so I remember when I would meet people, uh, they would say, "So where are you from?" And I'd say, "I'm from Ohio County." Uh, and they're like, "Hmm, Ohio County. Do you know so and so? Do you know so and so? Do you know so and so?" And and then it would be like, "Oh, wait a second. This lady in our church is from Ohio County. Do you know this family?" I'm like, "Yes, I know that family." It's like, "Oh, okay. Well, then we can serve you tea and give you some cake because now we know who you are. We're all connected, and so life is good again." And we just have we have this sense, this need to be connected, but that's especially inherent uh, in the Jewish people because that their whole um, foundation of their ethnicity is based upon we have this connection right. to uh, Judah specifically. Uh, so, so that's so that's why it's there. Like I said, it is important for us because of the lineage of Christ. It's important for them because it connects them to um, their uh, Jewish heritage. So, yeah. cool. Yeah. So that's okay. Awesome. So it's a little bit tedious. But but yeah, there's but, but there's but there's value in it. Yeah. Some, but like the Jewish reader back then would almost be like, well, where's the genealogy? You yeah, know, and where and where and you're looking and you're looking for a name that you connect with, yeah. <gasps> and you see yeah. it and you go, oh, that's, oh, that's me. Okay, so that's, that's me. me. That's, that's where that's where I come from. That's where I fit in the story. Yeah, kind of like with the phone book. It's all relevant, but you're only looking for your name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, so my other question is in Acts um, chapter four, thirty-two mm -hmm. to thirty-seven, and mm -hmm. just to kind of summarize it um, by a few verses. Verse 34 says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or households or houses sold them and brought the proceeds um, of what was sold. And then you go down a little further, they talk about a guy named um, Joseph, and then a guy in, um, yeah, anyway, so he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so my question is, 
um, why don't we see this much today? Why don't we see um, the sacrifice and this no-needy person thing? Because you're church. greedy, Josh. You won't so sell your greedy. property and bring it, and we don't have apostles what with property? feet. I was going to say, <laughs> all property that yeah. you have. Yeah, so we, so exactly. <laughs> yeah, this was a—I mean, the reason why it's, it's, it's here, what Luke is trying to show is that um, of, of the power that the gospel was having mm-hmm. in and around their midst. We still have that— today in places where the gospel still is is uh, uh, still being powerful I I you know I I think that um, there's this acts 29 network that started a few years back and the idea was is we want to see the book of acts continuing on in our world today and so forth and very noble idea and and one that I was absolutely supportive of and still supportive of um, when you see what God is doing in other countries and so forth, you see much more of the book of Acts in play, more miraculous stories that happen, more stories of great sacrifice because you have the gospel being brought into places it's never been before. And and I think from God's perspective that that course is, that's where you need to see power demonstrated mm-hmm. and so forth. We don't, we don't, we already believe the word is true. So there's no need to convince us of the word being true. You know, for us to seek out signs and wonders is is a, we're the adulterous generation. Then we've already yeah. it's like the it's like the Pharisees and so forth. They already believed that the word of God was true. They just didn't want the word of God to be true. Right. Uh, and uh, for, for us today, on the giving part of it, it just comes down to just disobedience. I mean, there's no way around it. We're just not being faithful to what God has shown us, and that happens repeatedly with God's people in times in good in times of prosperity. Prosperity is is the great enemy of the church, and we talked about the the blood of the martyrs and and how it's how important it is. Well, when you take that away, when you take that that dire need for sacrifice out of the mix, uh, we get soft. And you don't want to be, uh, you know, but it's just, it is the nature of who we are. Well, it says, I mean, it even implies that the land gets poisoned with, as a result mm-hmm. of God's people living in that kind of disobedience. Like yeah. um, it says, you know, and then, you know, as soon as you humble yourself. Yeah, we see that cycle in Judges over and over, over and, over and over again. Over. And, you, and, and what we're, you're reading it in a matter of minutes. But these things took place usually in cycles of like 40 years. Yeah, like yeah. Two, and usually two generations. It was, I mean, you look at it, it's like a 40-year cycle. And so we start out really, you know, we turn around, we're all passionate and so forth. Mm-hmm. And by 40 years, it's kind of like um, you see it start to go down again. And we all forget. It's like, oh, life is good again. Why do we? And so children that grow up in those times of prosperity uh, have a really hard time. Uh, and that's why there's a belief that uh, we are going to go through a, another great difficulty just in order to save this new up-and-coming generation because it is a it's a mistake to think. I mean, we see it like this generation of uh, 60% or 70% of them are followers of Christ, then it goes down to 50, then it goes down to 30, then it goes down to like 17% or something like that with this up-and-coming generation. And and, and it will change. It will grow a little bit as they get older and more people come to – but. But if you don't get people under 18 to convert, um, it's the numbers really drop fast. And so we already know that this generation probably is going to be very um, separated from God just based on what their parents are passing down. Mm-hmm. So then that's when God intervenes. Yeah. And when people don't respect their – when they don't honor their parents, uh, then – Life gets short, <laughs> as God promises, yeah, go. <laughs> and uh, and so and when life gets short, people turn to God, uh, and uh, or, and at the and then in Revelation, what is really the most overwhelming part of Revelation is at the end, they don't turn back right. to God. He brings he brings brings it the all fire brings the fire, right. and they still do not repent to demonstrate there is no more repentance left. Mm-hmm. So he is justified. And just judging yeah. everyone at that point. Uh, at this point, as people are still repenting, then that's a sign that God's God's withholding His final wrath. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Sounds good. Well. You had another question. Oh yeah, I had one question and short. Um, we're gonna wrap it up here in a minute. But in my in most Bibles, I think it says um, that deacons uh, or whatever the apostles wait on tables. Wait on yeah had the had the people wait on tables because they wanted to dedicate themselves to the word ministry right mm-hmm. so 
in my Bible, which is so you read from the CSB, which right. says serve tables. Mine is the HCSB, which is one version back in the same line. <laughs> right. Um, as far as genealogies go, um, right. it says um, <laughs> it's not right that we should spend time on financial matters instead right. of serving tables. So. Those are two very, in my mind, disconnected ideas that change from one version to the next. So why does why would mine say financial matters? Yeah, I um, I don't want to take. I don't. I mean, I'm not looking at Greek words in front of mm-hmm. me and, and and exactly how they're translated. I do know the context of of what it's saying and why the tables is used. I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and guess that in the original language that it's going to lean more towards waiting on tables mm-hmm. than in financial matters. Uh, the HCSB was, uh, it's called a dynamic, um, it's a literal or dynamic, uh, I can't remember the expression now, uh, tra- translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that um, it, it's taking the, it looks at it and what was, and it's looking at what was intended based on the original language and the structure of it. This is what it's intending to say in English. Uh, and the when you look at the widow's situation, uh, it was these are women whose husbands no longer are supporting them, who don't have family mm-hmm. to support yeah. them, so they're they're relying upon the church. So waiting on the tables may have been literally what they e- were doing. Economic, yeah, but there was a financial thing. matter thing. It's mm-hmm. more. Uh, I mean, they are uh, they are setting up tables and feeding them, mm-hmm. uh, and but there's also probably a greater uh, making sure they're taken yeah. care of financially it, as well. It differentiates at the beginning of the chapter between like the Hellenistic Jews, right. or widows, or whatever, and then the other group. So maybe there is an economic disparity. Dis- yes. Okay. That, well, that's exactly. Well, I mean, the problem was uh, is that there were the Jewish widows were being cared for. Mm-hmm. But now you have these Hellenistic, uh, which were, could, could have been Jewish as well, mm-hmm. but they were coming from. But you have a surge of people. And yeah. it's like, hey, we, we, need what, we let's take these Greek speaking people yeah. and get them uh, ordained and taking care of these people and support in uh, and, and practical matters. And, and it could have been uh, for uh, the fact that um, we financially ourselves can't. But but you got two things going on at the same time. Yeah, people yeah. are bringing their money, they're selling their property and bringing it to the apostles' feet, and then the apostles are taking that money and then distributing it to the people who have need, and they're saying we really don't have time to do that. Yeah, it's the same. It's two problems handled by the same action. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Great. Cool, cool. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions, you can email us at our first name at fbcj.us, and we will see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.